0: Our scripture passage comes from the Gospel of Luke, the second chapter. It is a continuation of the Christmas story that we've heard so much about in the last few days. Our setting is the temple in Jerusalem. And as we heard in our children's sermon, we'll get to meet two people, Simeon and Anna. May God add a blessing to the hearing and understanding of this holy word. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was the custom of the law, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against, so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, They returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong, and he was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. O Lord, now let your servant depart in peace. Or in other words, Simeon is saying, I can't tell you how long I've been waiting for this day. Now that I have seen God's Messiah, I can finally get some peace. Counter this statement with one that we might say today. Now that Christmas has come and gone, we can finally get some rest and relaxation. Let's get that tree down and get ready for New Year's Eve. These Two statements sound familiar, as if they were expressing parallel sentiments, but they are not the same. We can't replace Simeon's proclamation with our exhaustion, or Simeon's elation with our exasperation. First things first. This, today, is only the second day of Christmas. Christmas. There are 10 more days of Christmas after this, and we could solve the puzzle of today's sermon title, Love, Hope, Peace, Joy, Faith in a Post-Christmas World. We could solve this puzzle by saying, uh, of course, we can still talk about love, joy, hope, faith, and peace. We're still in Christmas. Surely, uh, come the 6th of January, we can uh, get on to other things or I could make this sermon extremely short and just say, let every day be Christmas. And then the spirit of love, joy, hope, faith, and peace that we generate at this time of year will be applicable and available every day. But if we skip too quickly to the punchline, we miss the significance of what it means to experience and to embody God's gifts to us and to all the world, afresh. Revived, made alive again by the spirit that is holiness. Simeon's message wasn't just for Mary and Joseph. Because the gospel writer chose to tell this story, we get to hear the cosmic implications of God's message because all creation, not just Simeon, was waiting in eager longing for the revealing of God's Messiah, God's anointed deliverer, through whom would come the restoration of all things. What what do we know of this Simeon that we hear about today? We actually get quite a lot of details in this story, even though it goes by very quickly. Simeon was righteous, and devout. These two words together say a lot. Some people could be referred to as righteous, as in they did everything right according to what was required and expected. And yet despite their righteousness, couldn't have been farther from God. We hear about folks like this throughout the gospel stories, well-intentioned, but tight-lipped people gripping God's law with closed fists and shuddered hearts. Why is it, Jesus, that your disciples uh, don't wash their hands as they're supposed to? We too easily judge these folks. Jesus himself seemed from time to time to tire of them and their questions. Yet he had compassion on them too. They're trying to do the right thing. Jesus' heart reached out to those tight-lipped, tightly-wrapped folks. Simeon could easily have been one of these folks if it weren't for his devoutness. The word suggests something like holding well as opposed to holding tight the faith that held him. Simeon's heart was open to God We know this because the next thing we hear about him is that the Holy Spirit was with him. Simeon had the right combination of following the letter of the law and the spirit of the law, and the spirit was holy upon him. Have you ever met such a person, one who seemed to have the right balance between a deep and sober faith and a joyful and buoyant compassion, That buoyancy is the Holy Spirit at work in each of us that gives us resilience for the journey, for the waiting, the receiving, the recognizing, the blessing, the praising, and the letting go and letting God. Now, we don't know at what point in the story, in Simeon's life story, that he heard from the Holy Spirit That the Holy Spirit had revealed to him that he would see the Lord's Messiah before departing this earthly existence. Maybe Simeon was reading Psalm 27 at that point of his life and in his life of devotion. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. The Lord is my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life, of whom shall I be afraid? Even though an army encamp against me, I shall fear no evil, for thou art with me. For surely there was an army encamped against all of Israel. And Simeon would have thought before he got to the end of that psalm and read his ancient forefathers' words, I believe that I shall see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. And as he half read and half prayed these words, the Spirit of God whispered in his ear, this is true, believe this, have faith, you shall see the Lord's greatest good in the land of the living. And Simeon took this to heart and held this in his soul for, what, months, years, decades of waiting along with all of creation, groaning and for waiting for the revealing of God's Son? What did Simeon believe he would see? What was he waiting for so devoutly? We are told that he was expecting the consolation of Israel, that is, The comfort, the encouragement, the elation that comes when God's verdict and vindication finally come. You see, it wasn't just Simeon who was waiting for God to do something. It was all of Israel. All of Israel was calling out to God, How long, O Lord, shall you forget us forever? There is an army encamped against us, and we are waiting to see your goodness in the midst of those who have lived to see this day. What Israel was waiting for wasn't a consolation prize. Well, Israel, you've stuck it out for so long. We have this lovely bunt cake for you. Everyone's a winner here. No, God's consolation goes deep and it's restorative. It is God's peace, God's shalom the peace that restores life. It is truly a comfort that not only enfolds us and says it's all going to be okay, it's an encouragement that says, my goodness is setting all things right. My restoration has been born among you. Wait a little longer, continue living devoutly and rightly and keep your thoughts open, keep your hearts open to what I am doing in your midst. The revelation that Simeon had received through the spirit of holiness was the foretaste of that consolation extended to all of God's people. Yet that foretaste was a comfort. If it was a comfort, it was also a burden. How big a burden was it for Simeon to live a life faithful to a whispered promise, you shall see the Lord's salvation in the land of the living. Such a burden that Simeon, it was such a burden that Simeon thought of himself as captive to it. We often hear Simeon's prayer as, Lord, you may now dismiss your faithful servant who has served you with unrelenting tenacity for these many years. Let me retire in peace to recline in green pastures by streams of flowing water. But what Simeon is actually saying is this, free your slave, O God, from the captivity to this burden of faithfulness. Loose the bonds of your yoke, the yoke of your revelation. I've seen your anointed one born and know that your work of salvation is underway. Bearing the weight of your promise on behalf of your people has been too much. Let me go. Let me go. Restored by your peace. Surely Simeon is one speaking through the ecstatic elation of one from whom a large stone has been lifted. His desire to retire to green pastures is tempered, tempered with genuine piety. God, I see why I've been waiting so long. I get it. You are truly amazing. This day you are fulfilling your promise, not only to me, but to the whole creation. But was God's promise to Simeon that he would get to disappear from the world scene once he'd had seen the beginning of God's work in the Lord's anointed one? Does he disappear into bliss as soon as he leaves the stage and we turn the page? We just don't know. Maybe God said, Simeon, I release you from bearing this burden by yourself. Now that you've seen the salvation that I am bringing into the world and receiving it as faith, hope, love, and joy, you are to live Out your remaining days in peace. Yes. But this peace isn't retirement to green acres. This peace is my shalom, my restoration of the whole creation. There is still work to do. You're just not having to do it alone. My salvation brings the release you seek, and also greater commitment to the mission of my restoration. It has begun. It continues, my Christ will bear the burden, for his yoke is easy and his burden is light. All this time, you thought you were bearing this burden alone? See, now there was another in your midst who has borne it along with you. Perhaps you never noticed her. She was daily in the temple, fasting and praying, and she too has lived to see this day. Now that you've seen the beginning, you and Anna, it it doesn't mean that you get to fade from the world stage, live into the unfolding of my salvation, experience the joy that is birthed, that this birthed one brings. But the remainder of your days may not be easy. Trust, trust though that as I have been with you up through this day, I remain with you and not just you, but the whole nation, and the many nations. Remember what my psalmist said long ago, take heart, be courageous, wait for the Lord, be strong, and let your heart take courage. Yea, wait for the Lord. Uh, There is someone over in the choir who earlier this week said, Mike, make your sermon practical. I'm gonna try my best. What meaning can we take from the stories of Simeon and Anna? These two were devout and righteous, even beyond their fellows, living in such a way that they prepared themselves for the coming of God's salvation, positioning themselves where the Spirit led them, steadfast in the reading of Scripture, the worship of God, the living with faithful anticipation that God would fulfill what was promised. For us, the world is ready to stop singing the carols, to take down the ornaments, and to pack it all the way for another year. Christmas is, however, ongoing. And even though we have seen the birth of the Messiah, the infant Christ, and we have dwelt upon God's gift of hope, joy, faith, and love, and peace, Do we pack it all up and say, oh Lord, let your servants go. We've had enough of all of this already. We need some peace. The simple answer is this, no. God says you don't get to pack up love, peace, joy, hope, grace, faith, and light so easily. You don't get to exit the world stage so soon. Here's what you are to do, learn from Simeon and Anna remained faithful and devout and righteous. And though they slipped away from the gospel story, their stories continued on and your story continues on. Simeon and Anna continued to live in a post-Christmas world. Once the Messiah had been born and the euphoria of witnessing God's salvation had passed, the real work of Christmas has begun. We can hear this sentiment through a 20th century mystic and prophet, Howard Thurman, who prophesied through his poem, The Work of Christmas, and captured the burden that sets us free. When the song of the angels is stilled, when the star in the sky is gone, when the kings and princes are home, when the shepherds are back with their flocks, when the work, then the work of Christmas begins, to find the lost, to heal the broken, to feed the hungry, to release the prisoner, to rebuild the nations, to bring peace among the people, to make music in the heart. Our Christmas celebrations are oases in the desert, a time and place to be rejuvenated by God's spirit so that we can work out our salvation, not with fear and trembling, but with faith, hope, love, joy, and with restorative power of God's peace, God's shalom. Practically, how do we do this? Read scripture, join in the fellowship of the saints, worship God, and live an expectation of the good that God has in store. Find the lost, heal the broken, feed the hungry, release the prisoner, rebuild the nations, take God's peace out into the world, and as you depart in peace, don't keep it to yourself. And make music in the heart. Sing carols, and here's a challenge for you. Sing carols, not only during these 12 days of Christmas, but throughout the year. Once in a while, pick up that hymnal, pick up a hymnal, open it up to the section with the Christmas hymns, and use our hymns as a means of devotion to bolster your spirit. I'll get us started. Here's one. Listen to its message for us, and let the spirit of holiness enfold and embolden you. Listen to how God on high brings glory to the lowest places and lifts us up. These hymns encapsulate with just a few words what we strive to say and hear through this sermon today. Pay special attention to the third verse. Here we go. It came upon a midnight clear that glorious song of old, from angels bending near the earth to touch their harps of gold. Peace on the earth, goodwill to all, from heaven's all-gracious king, the world in solemn stillness lay to hear the angels sing. Still through the cloven skies they come, with peaceful wings unfurled, and still their heavenly music floats o'er all the weary world. Above its sad and lowly plains, they bend on hovering wing, and ever o'er its babble sounds, the blessed angels sing. And ye, beneath life's crushing load, whose forms are bending low, who toil along the climbing way with painful steps and slow. Look now, for glad and golden hours come swiftly on the wing. Oh, rest beside the weary road, and hear the angels sing. For lo, the days are hastening on by prophets seen of old, when with the ever-circling years shall come the time foretold, when peace shall over all the earth its ancient splendors fling and the whole world send back the song which now the angels sing. Peace, hope, faith, love, joy, light, May all these find their way into your righteous and devout hearts and sustain you for the journey ahead. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.